tonight. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to go through the whole book, but uh, I've been asked actually by a couple individuals a little while back if, if we could study some things from the Psalms. Um, of course, we had to get through Job, and uh, then I had a gospel meeting and some other things, so I had to get far enough ahead so we could, could do that. But we are going to start in Psalms tonight, at least in Psalms 1, and discuss some things uh, uh, from that. Uh, and, and Psalms 1 is actually a really good uh, chapter. Uh, the book of Psalms, of course, is a, uh, uh, it's a wonderful book to study, a lot of great information, a lot of practical uh, uh, things. Uh, to me, it's a lot like Proverbs in a lot of ways. Um, there's just a lot of good advice uh, from God's Word in, in uh, Psalms here. Um, and tonight, in, in chapter 1, we're going to see how it will uh, talk about the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly. Uh, and it's going to kind of uh, contrast the two and, and give some practical, again, some practical advice on if we are righteous the way that God wants us to be, if we're living the way that God wants us to be, uh, this is a good uh, instruction manual, uh, Psalms chapter 1 is. So let's read these six verses and then and talk about them this evening. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now I think verse 6 here pretty well sums up, I think, um, the whole part of chapter 1. Uh, when he says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Uh, I think that's a pretty blunt statement, a pretty simple statement, but I think pretty well sums up uh, what this chapter is about. Um, but he begins here um, by talking about, in verse 1, he talks about blessed is the man. Now the Hebrew word esher, it, it's here translated blessed, but it has the idea of happiness or contentment. As a matter of fact, it, its root goes into uh, actually saying something being straight or being right. So it's not necessarily, and I think there can be a little confusion sometimes, even when you study the Beatitudes, talk about blessed is the person who does these different things. And a lot of people just generally interpret that as happy, but I don't believe that means that a person is going to be uh, happy all the time if we do everything that God tells us to do. Uh, there's things that God tells us to do that sometimes doesn't bring happiness. It can bring suffering. It can bring tribulation. It can bring persecution just simply because we're living for God. So I don't believe that means that a person is happy as far as the sense of what we're thinking about, but I believe it does mean that we can be happy in the sense of being content and doing what God says, have an enjoyable life as far as that contentment, 
if we're straight and right, as the word can be interpreted in Hebrew, uh, with God. So it, 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 he says here a person can be happy in the sense of we're, we're, we're straight, we're right, we're content because we're doing the things that God says to do. It doesn't mean all time good things are going to happen to us. It doesn't mean that they're pleasant. It doesn't mean we have to smile about it. It doesn't mean we're going to be happy in that emotional sense all the time. But we can't have that contentment. You know, we, we think about the peace that surpasses all understanding and that's exactly what it is. That kind of happiness, that kind of contentment to where no matter what we go through, we are content with our life with God. Because that's all that matters, isn't it? All these other things doesn't matter. What actually matters is that we are in a right, right relationship with God. And that's how he begins here and talks about blessed is the man. Now notice, he says blessed is the man, content is the man, Right and straight with God is the man that does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, so blessed is the man, happy is the man, content is the man. Now notice, it doesn't say uh, blessed or happy or content is a king, a scholar, a rich person. This is talking about any individual. It could be the poor, it could be the downtrodden, it could be whoever can have this kind of life. Because it's not riches that bring this kind of life. It's not power that brings this kind of life. It's not prestige that brings this kind of life. But it's that, that relationship that we have with God. That's what we have to get to the center of when it comes to our lives. That's how we... Because you know, many times we try to obtain happiness you know there's a lot of books that are written there's a lot of advice that's given a lot of motivational speakers that that say here's how you obtain happiness but it's not about obtaining happiness if that's all that i'm chasing it's like chasing riches if that's all that i'm chasing i'm never going to get the fulfillment that i'm striving for Happiness is a byproduct of the way that we live. Contentment is a byproduct of the way that we live. It, it comes to that relationship that we have with God that brings that happiness and contentment. So when he says here, blessed is the man, it's, it's blessed is the man, and he starts off by saying, who doesn't do certain things. That there's, if you want contentment, if, if you want a right relationship with God, where there's some things that we shouldn't be doing. You know, a lot of times we... We, we, we think, well, we can't, Justin, I, I've, I've said this in sermons, and I've heard other people, they say, you know, Christianity is not like a checklist. You can't just say, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do this. Well, there are things in which God tells us not to do. And there's reasons for us not to do it. If we want to have a content life, if we want to be right with God, if we want to be happy in that peaceful sense, then there's things that we should not be doing because those things don't bring that. And if we get involved in those things, then we won't have the blessing in which God says we can have. So he starts here in chapter 1, and in verse 1, and, and he tells us, here's what it doesn't do. Walks not, nor stands, nor sits. The, the blessed man does not do certain things. There, there's a way that he will not walk. There's a path that he will not stand in. There's, there's a seat that he will not sit in. And that's what happens. See, because there's a lot of times we can get in 
the wrong situation. If, uh, if we walk with individuals we shouldn't be walking with, and as someone said, before you know it, you're, you're, you're going on this path and you're, you're associating and, and talking with individuals that you shouldn't. Next thing you know, you're standing there. You're, you're, you're engaging in that. Then before you know it, you're sitting there and then you're a part of it. It's just a progression of how things go. It starts with how you think, then the things that you do, the things that you're involved in. And before you know it, you're at a place that you're wondering how you got there. You know, it's like someone said, sin will, uh, what is it, cost you more than you want to pay, take you places you don't want to go, and keep you longer than you want to stay. It's a progression. And that's what he's saying here. Here's what a blessed person does not do. You, you don't walk this way. You don't do these types of things. And that's hard in our society today because we get into a, a pattern, I believe, even as, as Christians, even as parents, when it comes to our children. We say that we want to be a child of God. We want to be a Christian. We want to be different. But when it actually comes to being different... We tell our children we, we want them to be involved in everything that the world is doing basically so they can fit in and be like everybody else and not stand out and we don't want to stand out. And, and we kind of have a, a, a double standard there. We say we want to be different, we want to be set apart, but yet we don't like the feelings and the emotions and the situations that that brings a lot of times. No, we don't want to be different. We want to kind of blend in. But the Bible tells us there's, there, there's things we don't do. There's things we don't say. There's things that we don't think. There's things that we don't get involved in. And, it, and it's not easy to do. Um, it, it's not easy. I know uh, 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 just having children of my own, in, in, in a parent's sense, it, it's hard to have to say no, isn't it? It's hard to have to say, you shouldn't be doing this. Well, what, what do they always say? Well, everybody else is doing it, or so-and-so's parents are doing, uh, letting him do this, or this. Well, I understand that. But here's what we're choosing to do, and here's why. And that, that's not an easy thing. That'll keep you up at nights. So that, will, that will cause friction. That will cause ulcers sometimes. It, it just causes a lot of things because it's difficult. Well, it's difficult in our Christian life, too. We have to make choices Okay, is this the way I'm going to walk? Is this the things that I'm going to do? Because I have to choose. I have to choose beforehand, here's how I'm going to live my life. No matter what else comes up, here's what I'm going to have to live my life. Yeah, I can be involved in things and I can do things to a point. I can still have fun in this world. I can still enjoy this life. I just can't be a part of the things that's ungodly, that leads to ungodly things. So am I going to be around people that lead me, lead me closer to God or farther away from God? Because the ones that lead me farther away from God, before you know it, I'm on a path I don't want to be on, and I, I'm, I'm involved in things I don't want to be on, and then I'm right in the middle of it before I ever realize it. It's a choice that we make, because he says here in the very beginning, blessed is the man who does not do these things. So what is it? it happy is the person, blessed is the person, content is the person, that's right and straight with God. That's my first priority. Am I going to be right? Am I going to be straight when it comes to God? But notice what it says. Walks not in the counsel, verse 1, of the ungodly. The ungodly have counsel. 
Um, and the righteous cannot walk in it. We, we all uh, get advice. Anybody ever give you advice? Anybody ever talk to you about things and say you should be doing this or shouldn't be doing this or here's how you should do it? Do we ever stop and think, is this godly advice or ungodly advice? Is, the, is that a measuring stick that we use or do we take the person and because maybe they may seem smart to us or we may even respect them or, or, or whatever it, we, we think it may be that puts them up on a level that we feel like, okay, I can take some counsel for this individual, but is the measuring stick the standard of, is this godly or ungodly advice? Are they basing this advice on how they perceive things, how they think about what their beliefs are, and then give you advice based on that instead of maybe what your belief is and what you're trying to follow. And it may be that they're, they're trying to do good by you, but it may not be good advice. We had a good uh, several lessons on that with Job, didn't it? Uh, Job's friends were not giving him godly advice. I don't think they meant him harm, but it wasn't godly advice. Even God himself said, you told him things that were not right. So people can have the best intentions, but that don't mean it's good advice. So walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Well, we, we, again, we get a lot of advice from, from different sources. Are we getting it from the right source? Are we getting it from the right people? Do we ever stop and say, is it, and we don't, I don't know if we really use terms like that, godly or ungodly. If you think of an ungodly person, what would you think of? What would that person look like to you or act like to you? Are they a horrible person? Do they have to be a, what's that word? Yeah, that's basically what it is. That's the dividing line, isn't it? But we, we think of it, I think, a lot of times. If I was to think, in my mind, what is an ungodly person? A murderer, a thief, someone who does bad things. They're, they're just ungodly. But it could be a, a good person that's just not following God is an ungodly person, aren't they? That someone's Because you're either for him or against him. So you're either godly or you're ungodly. And, and a lot of times we don't use that as a standard. And is this person giving advice based on getting me closer to God or based on what they think just may be right for the situation? But it says here that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So we need to be able to discern godly advice from ungodly advice. Whether it comes from outside or even inside. Some ungodly advice can come from us, ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. Our conscience can deceive us. You ever talked yourself into something that you really knew wasn't right? You ever talked yourself into it? Oh, this, there may be something that I really want to do anyway, so I, I find a way to justify it in my mind and convince myself it's okay to do that, and here's why. You know, here, here's what, what to do and not to do. And then justify that. We can deceive ourselves. You know, a lot of, you, you hear the term a lot of times, let your conscience be your guide. But what if your conscience has never been taught right from wrong? What if your conscience has never been taught godly from ungodly? Should I listen to myself? What have I learned or what have I studied? What information do I have to even 
rely on myself. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end therefore the ways of death. O Lord, it's not in man to direct his own steps. So we can deceive ourselves. But he says, a blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In Psalms 119 and verse 24, it says, Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So that's what we have to ask ourselves. Where are we going to get our advice from? It should come from God's Word. In Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, how should we walk? It says, I implore you to walk worthy of your calling, with which you have been called, with humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance with one another. Would, would individuals that's ungodly, that's not following God, would they give us advice to walk this way? Just have patience with be, people. Be, be loving. Be, be gentle. Uh, uh, have humility. No, it, it, most of the time it's you get what you can get out of life. You look out for yourself. But the Bible tells us this is how we should walk. Notice what he also says. Nor stands in the path of sinners, uh, verse 1. Sinners have a path where they stand, and the righteous man knows he does not belong in that path. So again, we, we, don't, uh, uh, we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, and while we're walking there, we sure don't stand there and stand in their path and be a part of that because that just leads in that pro progression. It leads from one thing to the next thing. So we don't stand in the path of the sinners. What path should we be on? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life in your presence in full, fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So our path needs to be on that straight path. Remember, that's what blessed is. It's, it's about being straight, being right with God. So I'm on that straight, that, that narrow path. And it's a difficult path. It's a road less traveled. Because most people are on the broad road, right? Most people are walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Most people are standing in the path of the ungodly. That's where most of the people are. But we have to choose... Are we going to be on a different path? And more times than not, it's not the easiest path. The easiest path is just to go along with everybody else. The hard path is always to say no at times when it's hard to. To do the right thing even when it's difficult to do the right thing. Even when it means you may have to stand alone. We don't, we don't like to do that. We, we don't like to be singled out. We don't like to be set apart but that's exactly what we're supposed to be. But again, it's easier said than done. Because it's easier to be on that broad path. Because everyone else is doing it. But think about it. That's where most of the advice comes. That's where, you know, that's where I think the, our country in a lot of instances, you know, wants to go to. It wants to go to basically a mob rule. You know, uh, the most people uh, believe this way, so that's what we should be doing. When in the Bible do we ever find where the multitude is ever right? Where we need to follow the multitude, do what everybody else is doing, just because they're doing it. And that's, that's sometimes how, again, we take our counsel. Because we're on this path, we're around these people, that's all that we're seeing, that's all that we're associated with, 
So we take our advice and we take what we're doing based on what everybody else is doing. Since everybody else is doing it, it, it can't be wrong or everybody wouldn't do it. Then you got just a little small group over here that may be doing something else. and They can't be right. They look different. They look weird. Everybody's making fun of them. Because everybody else is on that broad road. But that broad road is leading to destruction. That's, that's the thing. It may seem pleasurable. It may seem like it's fun. It may seem like it's easy. And that's the point. If that wasn't the point, why in the world would we put anything on a hook to try to catch fish? We wouldn't need it, would you? You ought to be able to just throw a hook in there and catch a fish. Oh, that hook looks appealing. Let me just munch down on that. No, you, you put something on it that looks attractive so they don't see the hook. You, you put something on there to disguise it that looks attractive that they'll want. So they won't be thinking about the hook. They won't be thinking about the danger. And that's what the world does. That's why the scripture tells us that's what you don't do. You don't uh, stand in the path of sinner nor sit in the seat of the scornful. They, the, the seat of, think about that, the seat of the scornful. Set and criticize. Do Christians ever do anything worthy of criticism from the world? All the time. Everything we do is, is something for the world to criticize. I think that's what uh, Peter, in a lot of ways, got caught up in. You know, he, he, he's there in the courtyard. They're, they're, uh, 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 got Jesus on that uh, mock trial there. All this is going on, and he, he's right there with them, and they're, they're, they're criticizing that way. And Peter said, I, I, I don't know him. We get caught up in that because we, we don't want them to turn their wrath toward us. So we try to turn it, you know, be there part of it and turn it to someone else. You know, that's, that's what a lot of people in the world want to do. If you want yourself to feel better, get other people to make someone else feel bad. Then that may make you feel better because you don't have to look at yourself and nobody else is looking at you either. All the tension is pointed somewhere else. But see, the progression of it, you can't be a part of that and come out unscathed. As he says here, here, if you want to have that content life, that, that, that good life, not, not that good things always going to happen, but be content with whatever comes our way because you have a right relationship with God, don't do these things. It's pretty blunt, straight to the point. He says because here's where it would lead to and here's what will happen. Now look at verse 2. What does the righteous do? He tells us what, what they don't do. Now look what he tells them that they do. Uh, verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Throughout Psalms, the phrase law of the Lord is used to describe the entire Bible. When some people think of the law of the Lord, they just think of maybe the first five books of the Old Testament that, that had the laws and things in it but it's 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 the whole book you know that law the perfect law of liberty as james calls it so what do you do you delight in the law of the lord so you're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly you're not standing with the ungodly you're not sitting with the ungodly but you delight in the law of the lord and you meditate on it now think about this 
What is it that actually makes you happy? That brings you joy? That you delight in? Is it things that bring you pleasure? That bring, you know, that always, you know, when, when I do this, this, this brings me enjoyment. When I do this, that, that's a pretty self-centered way of thinking, isn't it? Or is it your family that brings you joy? Is it your friends that bring you joy? Well, that's better, but it still falls short. What really should bring us joy is delighting in the law of the Lord, God's Word. I delight in it because it instructs me. It, it, it helps me. It, I mean, think about it. Shouldn't that uh, bring us joy even when it causes us to change? Because many people don't like to read Scripture because they're afraid they're going to have to change. But that should bring us joy because we realize, okay, I'm not on the right path. This is going to show me what the right path is so I can have that happiness. I can have that contentment that I don't really have when I'm not following it. And the only way that I know how to live a godly life is how God tells me. I don't come up with it on my own. Uh, God instructs us in it. Um, Notice what it says also in verse 2. In his law, he meditates day and night. Now, you can look at me and tell I've never done yoga on purpose. Uh, I may have gotten positions that I shouldn't have fallen off a ladder or something that looked like yoga, but I've never done it on purpose. And I've never done meditating as you, you see in the world. But one thing I have seen when ind individuals talk about you know, I meditate every morning, I, I do this. And uh, you hear them say, well, I, I clear my mind and, and, and just clear my mind of everything. That, that's what they say over and over again is about clearing your mind. Clearing our mind has nothing to do with the meditation that God tells us to do. I'm not supposed to clear my mind. Our mind is a vacuum. So if I'm clearing it, if I've got it cleared out, it's going to be consuming something. I have to be in control with what's going in my mind. And I'm not supposed to clear it out. I'm supposed to fill it up with something. I'm supposed to meditate on something, but I have to meditate on the right things. So I have to delight in His Word and meditate on it day and night. That means His Word is instructing me in everything that I'm doing. That almost sounds like some Jesus freak person, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, we ought to be standing outside of the airport with our heads shaved or something. But that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be meditating. Now, what does that mean? When I'm with my family, God's Word is at the forefront of my mind, and that's going to dictate how I am as a husband and how I am as a father. When I'm at work, that's going to dictate what kind of uh, uh, job that I'm going to do. Am I going to do it well? Am I going to do it to the best of my ability? When I'm interacting with it, in other words, it's going to direct every aspect of my life if I'm meditating on it. If my mind's filled up with it, but if my mind is cleared out and then filled up with something else, it's like the same thing. The individuals say, if you're not instructing your kids or teaching your kids, somebody is. Well, that's the way it is with this. If I'm not instructing myself through God's Word, I'm getting instruction from something else. My mind's not going to be clear. I mean, it may look like I've got crickets up here, but it's filled up with something. I have to choose what it's going to be filled up with. Is it going to be filled up with the right things? And that has to be the choice that I make. Philippians 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, 
whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What if we just thought about continuously good things? Now, I'm not talking about just having a positive, happy attitude and that's going to get us through life. But if we generally thought on the good things, when we interacted with someone, we tried to concentrate on good qualities. So as it depends upon me that I can live peaceably with all men. That's what we're supposed to do, right? So what I would have to do is think of something and, and, and focus on some good aspect of every aspect of my life. Now, it doesn't mean that all of it's going to be good. It doesn't mean that all time good things are going to happen. But it means I, I focus on good things because no matter what, no matter what somebody does to me, no matter what health brings upon me, it can't take that away, can it? I can still have those kind of thoughts. I can still fill my mind with those good things and meditate upon those good things. And the good things is from God's Word. Now, when it comes to meditating, that's exactly what I have to do. It's not just read. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself to prove to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can somebody read the Bible and not get out of it what they need to? How do you do that? By just reading it? Yeah, you don't study it. You don't meditate upon it. You don't apply it. God never said, read it to show myself approved. I've read a lot of things in my life, and you can ask any teacher I had in school that benefited me none except to maybe take a test and forget it. I just read it because I had to, read it because I needed to know it at the moment, and then I used to always tell them my brain had so much knowledge, if I took anything else in, i lose something. So I've got to be careful what I take in, you know. But we meditate on it, we study it, we think about it, and then we apply it. But that has to be at the forefront of my mind because I can't possibly live that blessed life that God says that I can. I can't have that contentment that God says I can have unless I know what he says to do to achieve it. That, that's my instruction manual. That's what gets me through. That's the, okay, don't walk this way, but walk this way. Boy, I sure needed that instruction. I was headed down the wrong path. Now I know what the right path is, and I only know that through God's word. We've got to move on here. Um, now, notice verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that brings forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He shall be a tree planted by the water. Now think about that. You've got a tree planted by uh, a stream. What's that tree going to be like? What's its roots going to be like? It's going to be deep because there's water there. It doesn't matter what the sun's doing. It doesn't matter what you know, the elements are doing. As long as it's there by that water, it's going to be strong. It's going to be stable. It's going to have the nourishment. It's going to have everything that it needs. So that's how I have to look at my Christian life. When I see this, I look at it from a need standpoint. If I'm still lacking something as a Christian, 
if I'm still always needing something, I, I mean, I think we're always growing. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we come to a place where we don't grow. But if I'm always needing something more than, than I feel like I'm getting, maybe I'm planted in the wrong place. Maybe I'm not planted where I should. Maybe I'm not getting what I need. And that's what happens to a lot of people in the world. They're, they're planted in the wrong place. Their roots aren't doing what they need to do because they're not in the place that they need to be. They're not getting the nourishment that they need. Thus not producing the fruit that they're supposed to produce. I'm not just supposed to exist. I'm supposed to produce fruit. I'm created for good works. I heard somebody, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and as I listened to it, there was a statement that made that really, well, it actually made me stop. <laughs> and, and I had to think about it for a minute. But this individual said, you know, our purpose is not to get to heaven. That's not our purpose. That got my attention. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, that's my purpose. That's what I always felt my purpose was, was to go to heaven. And they finished the statement by saying our purpose is to serve God, which is going to get us to heaven. And when they said that, I, I had to think about that a minute. And then I thought, you know, that's exactly right. Heaven is a byproduct of what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what happiness is, a byproduct of what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what being blessed is, a byproduct. So I'm here to serve God and do what He wants me to do. My, my purpose is to serve Him in every way, and then I'm going to get to heaven. Heaven is a given when it comes to that. That's something I wouldn't even have to think about. That, 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 that's going to happen. So I'm not striving for that. I'm just going to obtain that because I'm striving to serve God. And I thought about that when I was studying this, and that's exactly right. I, I'm striving to serve God. I'm not striving to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I'm not striving to do what the ungodly says to do. I'm striving to do exactly what God says to do, no matter what happens around me. Do you ever have, have thoughts where, and, and I struggle with this, you know, being able to say, oh, I know I'm going to heaven. And I think, as soon as I say that, that sounds arrogant, I'm prideful, and then I'm not. <laughs> and I wouldn't be going because it's, it's so prideful. And we worry about it. I, I've got to get to heaven. I've got to get to heaven. And it's always on the forefront of our mind when it should be, I, I want to serve God and get as close to Him as I can, and I would never have to worry about heaven. Heaven is going to be my home. That's why I can say, I know I'm going to heaven because I know I'm striving to serve God the best that I can. And that's what he says here. And that's what a, a, a tree planted in the right place is. You're getting everything that you need and you're going to be stable and secure and produce the fruit that we're supposed to be produce. Now I like how it says, brings fruit in its season. Sometimes we get carried away and think as soon as we're planted, that, that fruit ought to be there. Well, it takes, it takes a little time to produce fruit, doesn't it? That, that tree's got to get those roots stable. That tree's got to grow and it's got to do what it needs to do to be able to support that fruit. So we've got to make sure not to get discouraged in the process, but make sure we are producing the fruit. Or are you going to say, you know, the axe is laid at the tree and the fruit be chopped down? Because that's, our purpose is to produce that fruit. What kind of fruit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do we think about producing that kind of fruit? I think if we're thinking on those good things, like we're supposed to be thinking, we're meditating on those good things of God's Word, 
and we're filled with that, we're planted in the right place, we can't help but produce that fruit. Because a bad tree can't produce good fruit, and a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Right? Isn't that what Matthew 7 tells us? We think of it just in terms of false teachers, but think of it in terms and in, in, in a context of what I'm producing for God. If I'm planted right, if I'm, if I'm doing things right, I can't help but produce the fruit that I'm supposed to produce. That would be just a given. Because I'm doing the things in which God says and I'm going to produce the fruit that I'm going to produce. John 15 and verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without him being part of the vine, I'm not going to produce. In other words, I'm planted in the right place. I'm, I'm in the place that I'm supposed to be to produce the fruit that I'm supposed to produce. Again, I'm not taking the counsel of the ungodly. I'm not walking or standing in their paths. I'm not doing those things. These are the things I'm supposed to be doing. And this is the result of doing those things. See, God tells us the don't do's, he tells us the do's, and he tells us the result of both. And then he, we make the decision. Is that what I'm doing or not? He says, whose leaves will not wither away. Whatever he does, he shall prosper. Now this isn't that... Uh, we would have, the, as it said, the Midas touch that whatever we touch is going to turn to gold, you know, health and prosperity preaching. But we'll prosper in the fact of, if I'm prospering, what does that mean? That just means I'm producing the fruit of my labor. I'm a, a very prosperous person because here's what I worked at, here's what I produced. Well, if I worked at doing the good works God wants me to do, and I produced the fruit that He wants me to produce... I'm a prosperous person, aren't I? That's what I'm, again, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Again, the way of the ungodly, uh, uh, the dangerous place of the ungodly. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The ungodly are not so. He says everything that's true of the righteous person, the total opposite for the other. Here's the result of doing this. Here's what's going to happen with this. Everything uh, with that, the stable tree, the, the nourishment, the fruitful life, the prospered, all this, none of that is in regards to the ungodly. The ungodly doesn't produce any of that. And that's not going to happen to the ungodly. Now, that doesn't mean that good things doesn't happen to ungodly people. It doesn't mean that they don't look happy. It doesn't mean that good things doesn't happen to them and they seem to live a very joyful life. But again... They're on the wrong path that leads to destruction. Eventually, that's going to come to an end. Because life is but a vapor that appears for a little time, right? James tells us. So that good living of the ungodly is not going to last that long. Because there is a judgment coming. The future of the ungodly, verse 5. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Because the ungodly have no weight, they were found lacking on the day of judgment. Isn't that what the Bible said, Daniel chapter 5, verse 27? Uh, Belshazzar, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting? That's what happens to the ungodly. They're found wanting. Heaven's not a byproduct of the way they live their life. Heaven is not something, a home that they're going to achieve because here's how they live their life. They're going to be weighed in the balance and found wanting. 
No sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I think this is true in the future because sinners will not share the same glorious future as the righteous. It's just not possible. And then that's, that's the time where it becomes too late. Then you realize, hey, I, I followed the multitude to this. This isn't what I intended to. This is not what I hoped to achieve. But I took the wrong advice. I took the wrong path. I stayed around the wrong people. And now I've got the wrong results. And as verse 6 says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The righteous can have peace because the loving God in heaven knows their way. God knows who we are. God knows what we're going through. God knows what we're about. Because he's the one that created us and he's the one that's instructing us. But he also knows the way of the ungodly shall perish. It leads to destruction. They're on the broad path. They're comfortable for now. But that comfort's going to end. Because again, that, that's, that's the easy path. It's not easy to stay on the difficult road. It's just easier sometimes to just let things go, to take the advice of the ungodly because it sounds good at the time. I tell you, there's a lot of information, and we just scratched the surface tonight, but there's a lot of information when it comes to uh, Psalms chapter 1, the beginning of this book. And it just gives us a glimpse of what this book is filled with. But if you want a list on what to do, what not to do, what the results of Doing good is what the results of doing bad is. I think Psalms 1 tells us, and I appreciate you listening.